I'm Denzel Mohammed, and this is JobMakers. What do you know about migrants who cross the southern border and where they go in life if their journey is successful? Do you know what they're fleeing? What skills they may have? What their dreams are? What motivated them to take such a dangerous risk? For Carlos Castro, president and CEO of Todos Supermarket in Woodbridge, Virginia, it was decapitated heads lined up on fences. It was a civil war. It was virtually no economic opportunity in El Salvador. Carlos took a huge risk as a young man to cross the border without authorization. But in that dangerous journey was a determination to support his family and find them safety as any husband and father would. Carlos, who became a U.S. citizen in 1990, is now a business and community leader in Northern Virginia, employing more than 200 people. He explains some of the things Americans find perplexing, like why do migrants cross the border? Why immigrant business owners tend to hire people like them? and what life is really like in the hellish countries where desperate migrants come from in this week's JobMakers. Carlos Castro, welcome to the JobMakers podcast. How are you? Very good. Thank you for the invitation. So you are founder, president, and CEO of Todos Supermarkets in Woodsbridge, Virginia. Describe your business for us. When did it launch and where is it today? I was at a party with a friend of mine, for a friend of mine, and and she came to me and she said, look, there is a need for a grocery store here. Why don't you start one? And I go like, why me? You know, I don't know anything about grocery store, but later, in you know, Couple of a year later, I was talking with some friends about starting a business. We went through many, many ideas, and then I remembered what my friend told me, and uh, we decided to open Todo Supermarket because it was only a tiny Mexican store. You know, I mean, tiny like 500 square feet. It was very, very small, and um, uh, we took 2,500 square feet. It was very, very small. But we didn't know how to negotiate contract, you know, we just went and signed for whatever they offered me. So then um, I, uh, my wife was running it. The idea was that uh, my wife was a maid, you know, a house cleaner and that she could have her own business and I would have my own business, of course, you know, and, um, and that's how we started in 1990. And uh, after I realized that we were actually I was not doing very good in construction because I was most of the time on the phone with my wife, uh, trying to resolve issues and figure out why we're not, we were not selling. Then I decided to uh, give up my construction business in DC and, uh, and come to the store, help my wife. The problem is that she did not have money to pay me salary. She barely paid herself a salary. So <laughs> I, uh, I became a tax preparer. And by being a tax preparer, I realized that uh, people were not taking advantage of being homeowned, the home ownership, you know. So I um, I became a realtor, and uh, and I was working out of the store. It was you know very difficult years, but uh, 
we start to ask the customer, what would you like us to have? You know, every day since day one, and that's how we actually became an, uh, to know that even though we speak Spanish, even though we're Latinos and everybody think we are all Mexican, you know, it, it's just not that way. You know, Bolivian have their food, Colombian, Peruvian, you name it. So it was a, uh, a learning, exciting learning and very difficult time. But um, the beauty of it is that in some countries, the owner of the businesses are considered people, very smart people that you can go and get advice, you know, and uh, people would come to my store and ask for things. And then my wife would tell them, come back at six, my husband is going to be here. And, uh, and then by the time I got to the store, I had a line of people that had something, you know, to, to ask. And it, it felt really good. And it created that kind of loyalty in our community. And that went on for, um, Five years, then we decided to move to another uh, a, a 5,000 square feet in five years. And then another five years, we moved to um, 10,000 and then to 18,000. By the time we were in 20, 2010, we actually got into this one location at Marunco Plaza in Woodbridge that has a total of 75,000 square feet with offices and headquarters and everything. Had like 180 employees. We still have the 180. Some of them have left, you know, and we have hired new people. My attitude has been always that, you know, we hire for attitude. You know, you get the right attitude, I can teach you the business. So my general manager, you know, I found her uh, flipping hamburgers at the McDonald's uh, nearby. And she actually took the offer the same day I put it to her. She's now my general manager. And uh, her case has repeated over and over. But my father's teaching, he was always helping. He was a builder. And he always was observing people. Because I was a kid always with him. I, I was his first child. So he was always looking at people and and giving the opportunity. So those supermarkets have done the same. You know, we give other people opportunity. When we bring new people to the team, nobody gets to worry because we don't compete. We complement each other. So giving people opportunity is key, especially recently arrived immigrants. They just want they just want to crack and they want to break. And they're able to develop their skills from flipping hamburgers to becoming general manager of a massive 75,000 square foot store. I mean, that's that's pretty incredible. Um, and you mentioned your father and growing up. Obviously, you didn't grow up in, in Northern Virginia. You grew up in El Salvador. Yeah. Um, most listeners will have no idea what life is like in a place like El Salvador. Paint a picture for us. What was it like growing up? We were very poor. My father built uh, his his house in the capital with salvage materials, you know, pieces of metal. We laugh all the time because I told them that we had the biggest window in the living room. The only problem is that it didn't have any glass, just a hole, you know. So, and, and we used to go and we we closed our door and we 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 put uh, like a big piece of uh, pipe to keep it locked. 
And then, of course, you, you lock the door and then the window is open where you can run a truck to it. So it was funny. We didn't have any running water or uh, um, uh, indoor plumbing. And uh, uh, my father kept uh, reminding us what we needed to do to really survive and reminding us that we didn't have any inheritance to receive. That all we had was, you know, an elbow able body and a good and a good head on them and then we had to do our best and one thing that happened during those days is that you know good jobs were reserved for people that were friends of the owners of the company or a boss in the company and poor people like me didn't have any cho any chance i worked with my dad the first few years and i moved to work at a factory but you know to get 25 cents salary increase in a year, we almost had to go into a strike. It wasn't, it was like that, but you know, uh, I enjoyed what I did. And luckily I was able to climb the, 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 the ladder very, very, uh, at very younger age, very young age. I, um, I was supervising people, you know, by the time I was 19, and I was supervising a production plant of a big factory when I was studying industrial engineering on my first year. And I was only like, you know, 19, I mean, 20, 20 years old. And um, well, you I were all, was happy. You were all set. You, you, why, why did you need to move? Yeah, exactly. You know, and then we had a civil war going on really bad. That was the military against the the uh, left-wing uh, activists from Cuba and Nicaragua, and um, it became a terrible uh, civil war. You found, you know, people decapitated with the head stuck on the fences. You know, it was horrifying. And me being the eldest of my siblings, I um, I had the opportunity that some uh, some of my middle school classmate gave me to come to the U.S., of course, illegally, because we had no choice of getting a, 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 a visa. So I thought really quick because he pressed, pressed the, asked the question on me, you know, why don't you go to the U.S., work for a couple of years, you know, learn English, and maybe by then the work will be over, and then you can provide for your siblings and your mom and your dad. I had a job there and the unions and the guerrilla were taking over and shutting down the factories. As a matter of fact, my, the factory where I work, it was actually, you know, one of three that were still open. So I thought this is gonna collapse any minute. And uh, uh, I, I took that opportunity, you know, I came with a uh, coyote and uh, a smuggler and I got, caught uh, across the border. So I got deported after deported after I spent uh, a month and a half in, in detention. I got to Salvador at midnight when they dropped me there. And then I hid for a week and then got more money. I pawned my motorcycle and I uh, head back on my own, just by faith, actually with a cousin. And we went across Mexico and, and, and across the border. And uh, luckily we made it and that's, um, here, you know, the first year, I um, all I did was save money to buy my ticket back to El Salvador. 
because I wasn't really uh, enjoying. My wife was in El Salvador with my little kid that was one year old when I left. So uh, all I wanted is to get back to El Salvador. And, and, uh, but then I got the opportunity of working in construction. And I was really good. I am really good in construction. You know, I love it. I enjoy it since I was a little kid. So that was my ticket to success. I was able to save for my house. And then uh, um, I move on to, to set up my own company with the customers that my boss couldn't serve. He would give them to me. So he helped me. He, he gave us, actually he signed our job certification for my wife. And then by my wife getting her visa, my kid and myself could get a visa. So actually she came a year after I, I was here. I nice. brought her in again, you know, through the border. She got caught. She was in jail, but we were, we were able to get her out of jail and into through an organization and into here. And, um, and that's how she came to work for the architect, my boss. And, and I asked him and he, he agreed to sign our papers. With things being so terrible, I mean, you were enduring a civil war in your country, and as you say, decapitated heads in the streets, and uh, I mean, it's something that we here in the U.S. Could, can't even fathom. It's it, it's something so distant to us, and yet that was your daily reality. Who would not want to escape something like that? Um, yes. Now we bring it to the present day, where you went from one thousand square feet to seventy-five thousand square feet with Total Supermarket in Woodsbridge, Virginia. Um, you basically realized that there was a food desert for recent migrants to that area um, and ended up taking over the giant supermarket, what we in yeah. Boston here call Stop and Shop. You're involved in several initiatives in your community. And one of them is uh, helping a nonprofit called the Hispanic Organization for Leadership and Action called or OLA, which works to engage and empower the Latino community. Describe your work with OLA and why is it important? And what benefits have you seen arise from it? Well, well OLA was created uh, like 20 years ago by a visionary uh, um, chairman of the board, Sean Kanaten, here in Prince William County, that he saw the need because of the growth of the community. He said, you need to have an organization. And, and basically, our idea is to develop leadership, to get people into the community, community to participate, to be part of the, the mainstream community little by little. So um, we, have focused, we have focused our effort in being a center of information and um, bringing information to the community by creating events where the community show up and and the agencies that are in the county show up and then we we talk about everything that is at their disposal in the county or state government and um, we want to focus in leadership development we want to make sure that we create resilient community that are self self-dependent that are not dependent of you know other organizations or the government but actually on their own, you know, basically leaders. So the result of that has been recently arrived or almost recently arrived migrants to the area be, being part of building up the community by taking on these leadership roles. 
it brings me to a point that that is a sticking point for a lot of U.S. born people. Um, I read a recent article, well, from 2017, that mentioned 90% of your employees are Hispanic. Respond to questions about why you and other business owners tend to hire people of similar ethnic background. Does that tie into what you're just talking about, building up resiliency, meaningful job opportunities, and that kind of thing? Generally, you want to have people to work for you that you trust. And the people from your country, the first people that you trust, or whether it's a relative, a friend, or somebody. And it takes a while to build a business. So uh, that's uh, how uh, we ended up hiring people that speak Spanish. But um, the other problem that we have as uh, immigrants companies or uh, what do you call it, international companies or uh, ethnic, you know, companies, let's say um, regular Americans or or people from other countries, I mean, from, from other groups that are not used to work with Latinos, they don't see, or, or any other ethnic group, they don't see the future in a ethnic company. And let me give you an example. You know, I once I hired a the daughter of one of my customers as my uh, personal assistant, and uh, she was asked, "Why would you go to work there? You know, why don't you go to uh, another American company that you have a better future?" And and you know, at some point, I ran a campaign. I thought this is in order for me to grow, I need to attract more people of different groups. So I ran a campaign and I to hire managers and I had a good response of people. By the time we set up the uh, first interview, it was kind of sad to see that people park their car, go around, look into the store, walk around, walk around the store and then walk back out. At that point, I realized, you know, I'm not going to attract American people to work for me. I mean, we're thinking a little grocery store, you know, what do I think, you know? And then I decided I'm going to put my efforts to make sure that my people get the opportunity. That is so interesting. And I don't think any U.S. born person would, would be thinking like that. Like, would an American want to go to work for the, the Hispanic grocery store out there in Woodsbridge. Uh, what do they know about oxtail, for instance? Um, <laughs> and what do they know about halal meat? I mean, that is really interesting. So thank you for shedding light on that. As um, immigrant and minority business owner, that that was really great. Um, I want to close. Thank you. Uh, I want to mention one, you, you mentioned your father earlier, and it's clear he's had a very profound impact on your life as not just a business owner, but as a man. Um, what has been the influence of him on your, on your, on your work? I know pre- from previous uh, interactions with you, you mentioned he was very strict, but he also had a, a, a set of principles and values, right? Yes, you know, uh, that's pretty much it. It's about principles and values. My father uh, didn't have the opportunity to go to school he actually rebelled against my 
grandparents because he was the son of a maid. So he wasn't really part of the family and they wouldn't give him the opportunity to go to school. So he, he left the house when he was probably 12. And then he met people along the way because he was very uh, charismatic. And he made some good friends and people taught him he was, he was a genius in a way, you know, he learned to be a builder and he never went to, to 12th grade. And uh, actually he finished 12th grade when he was married to my mom and he was like 40 some years ago. And uh, I, I was so enjoyed when, and, and I enjoyed so much when they put his boss was probably a young architect or a young engineer. And when they told me, like, whatever I know, I know it because your father, you know, I went to school, I have a lot of knowledge, but I don't know how to do these things. And he taught me. And so he was very good at that, at, at, uh, particularly in the structures, you know, he studied at night and he kind of looked at everything. He was able to go through a set of blueprints and have a list of all the errors that were on those blueprints and give it to the architect. We need to fix this, you know, and, uh, like I said, he was a perfectionist. So he demanded from us kind of like the same thing that he demanded from himself. And I'm, I'm so happy that, that you came here to the U.S., you know, as you say, with a coyote illegally uh, detained, deported, came back. You had that persistence and that led to you being able to have the opportunity that you would not, obviously did not have in El Salvador at the time to be able to put your hard work to use and let it result yeah. in something. And it, it, it resulted in, you know, dishwashing and, and janitorial and then uh, construction, then owning your own construction company, then owning your first small supermarket. And now Todos is a giant. Let's put it that way. What are your views on America, the United States as a home for immigrants? It's a place that I dream about, you know, I didn't think that the, that the sidewalks were, were, were uh, you know, an area where you get a shovel and you shovel dollars into your pocket, right? But I thought that it was a, a, a place where there is good people that can help you succeed. And, um, and that has been my experience. You know, people helped me along the way. I was not asking a lot of the time that people came to my rescue. Very good-hearted people in America. And I think we need to keep that spirit. As new immigrants, we need to help others to to achieve their dreams, you know, so that we give other opportunities, the opportunities that were given to us, you know, for immigrants right now, it's very difficult. As we all know, you know, there is people driving their cars into a crowd, you know, or just shooting somebody um, <clears throat> or hating you for no reason, you know. Um, I think as immigrants, we have the obligation to make sure that we get enculturated with the rest of the community that live around us. I think it's still a, uh, the best place on earth if you want to actually succeed, if you want to make something, something about yourself. It's still the best place on earth, you know, as long as you don't find anything to to come up with excuses, you know, excuses are not allowed if you want to succeed in the U.S. 
Jobmakers is a weekly podcast about immigrant entrepreneurship, contributions, and research produced by Pioneer Institute, a think tank in Boston, and the Immigrant Learning Center in Malden, Massachusetts, a not-for-profit that gives immigrants a voice. Got comments, questions, know someone we should talk to? Email Denzel, that's D-E-N-Z-I-L, at jobmakerspodcast.org. Thanks for joining us for this week's incredible story of one immigrant's resilience, success, and contribution. Next Thursday at noon, we talk with Jeff Farah, General Counsel for the National Venture Capital Association, about why immigrants and job makers like Carlos have virtually no avenue of migrating or remaining in the U.S., an outdated but fixable immigration system that doesn't adequately serve America's needs. I'm Denzel Mohammed, and thank you for listening to Jobmakers.